for the Craft Podcast. I'm Michael Brog. And I'm Andrew Welch. And this is episode 11, Performance 3, Templating Performance. Or does that sound terrible? Is it Performance 3? This is the third episode yeah. in our little uh, informal series about performance things. Um the craft podcast serves. Oh, I have to. I, I have to. I have to. I have to read the thing, don't I? The craft pod. <laughs> the craft podcast serves the community of developers, designers, business people, content creators, and everyone else who uses the craft content management system to build great products and experiences on the web. And with this podcast, we're aiming to quite literally give a voice to the craft CMS community to bring you relevant news, to answer questions, and help develop your skills, and to celebrate the awesome things you're accomplishing with craft in your tool belt. And Michael and I just had a nice long talk about this. We are going to be doing a bunch more with uh, interviews with other people, so you guys don't get bored of us talking about all sorts of nerdy stuff. Yeah, and I guess uh, as long as we're going down that rabbit hole, we should mention um, if you are interested in uh, being an interviewer or an interviewee on the Craft Podcast, or if you have suggestions for topics for things that we could talk about, or questions that you have, or business ideas, or show and tells, uh, we want to hear all that and more. And would love for you to get in touch with us. Uh, hello at craftpodcast.com. You can email us. You can hit us up on Twitter at craftpodcast. You can find Andrew in the Craft CMS Slack literally 24 um, 7. And I'm there during daylight hours central. And uh, please get in touch with us because uh, we want to talk uh, more about the business of craft, more about content creation and content marketing. Um, so, yeah, we need ideas. Well, we've got a bunch of ideas. We put, out, we put out a bunch of, I think, really awesome podcasts, but we don't want to have everyone's eyes glaze over with all the nerd speak, right? Well, I mean, isn't that... Uh, that's how we take over the world, is we glaze over everybody's <laughs> eyes with nerd speak, and then, and then we take over the world. Yeah, so skip... Skip my um, intro. Right. I'm I'm Andrew Welch. I'm the uh, annoying guy in Slack chat. Why don't we get down to performance three? This is the third podcast that we have done on performance. Yes. And one of the reasons we've done so many is that it's a very broad, multifaceted topic. And also, it's a really important topic. Um so in the first podcast, we covered in-browser rendering and page speed performance and a ton of other cool stuff. So if you haven't seen the Performance One podcast, check it out. Um, in the performance, the second performance podcast, we covered time to first byte, um, a lot of kind of nerdy server-side performance that uh, really makes a big difference. And what are we going to talk about today, Michael? Well, the next piece in the puzzle is templates, the templates that we write to help craft, uh, to instruct craft about how to take information out of the database and present it to our front end. Yeah, and this is the area where, you know, assuming that you've listened to the previous podcasts and you've 
optimize the heck out of your, your workflow and your page speed and your server and all that kind of stuff, this is the area where it is now your fault, right? Because <laughs> you are the one in charge of writing the uh, front-end twig templates for craft um, that ultimately are layered on top of all the stuff that we have talked about in the, the past performance podcasts. Um, and you're the one who's yeah, and controlling I, I, the I think another... Another way to look at this is uh, in the first episode, in talking about uh, the in-browser performance, we've picked up the website uh, rendering process from the point at which the browser has all the stuff that your server sent it. Uh, so your server sent the browser a bunch of uh, information and files, and now the browser is going to render it. And then in the second episode, we backed it up and we talked about... Um, all of uh, everything that happens uh, before the website, uh, well, no, I guess that's not actually a, a good way to to frame it. I'm with you. I was on board. Um, I was running alongside oh, yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then in uh, our second performance episode, we backed it up one step um, and we talked specifically about that well but we didn't really because because php and apache like spins up craft all right uh, all right i'm gonna butt in here okay this is a what yeah, have you just, done for me just, lately yeah, situation nobody cares about what you did in the past let's talk about what we're doing now right so we are right. talking about templating performance um and as you know, uh, Craft is incredibly flexible. That's one of the things that people really love about it. Um, but one of the, or I should say the other side of flexibility um, is that you can also really screw things up, uh, right? If you're given the power to do a whole lot of uh, things, it's pretty, well, not easy, but it's definitely possible uh, to make a mess of things. Yeah, and I, I don't know that uh, screw things up is necessarily the the phrase I would target, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, you can write your template to do the same thing multiple ways, and some of those ways are going to run and render faster than other of those ways. Well, I, you know, I screw things up every day. I don't think there's anything wrong with screwing things up. Um, in fact, I think you learn a lot more when you do screw something up because then you figure out what you did wrong and take it apart and figure out how to do it right. Um, pretty much every software project I've ever done, I figure out how to do it the right way uh, after I've already written it, you know? <laughs> right. And and in this way, I guess, uh, in this case, by the right way, we mean the fast way. Mm-hmm. The way that the way that is fast for your server, right? So, Twig is a templating language, which is more powerful than uh, what a lot of people might be used to if they're coming from you know Expression Engine or or whatever. Um, but it is a templating language. It's not meant to be a programming language. Um, the business logic should be kept out of the the templates as as much as is possible and. I think a lot of people talk about business logic, but can you explain to everybody exactly what business logic is, Michael? Yeah. So um, business logic is everything that the program has to do to prepare data to be presented to the customer. 
whether the customer is another piece of the system or if the customer is, you know, someone looking at your web page on a screen, um, your system is going to uh, take data out of the database and organize it and, um, you know, disassemble it and reassemble it and chop it up and splice it and, you know, do a bunch of stuff. Um, and then it's going to present what it has prepared to, uh, to the client. And so all of that preparation work is what I would call business logic. It's um, all of the calculations that are specific to whatever it is that you're doing. Um, whereas what we want in the template is specifically based on the, the view. Um, so we prepare the data, we give the data to the template, and then the template is what takes that data and figures out how it is going to be presented. Yeah, and I think it's um, somewhat seductive, right? Because you can do quite a bit in Twig. Um, you know, you have real variables, you have expressions, you have if then else, and you ha you have a ton of other stuff. So it can be uh, very seductive to try and you know essentially uh, turn Twig into a programming language. Um, and I actually did that. Um, so one of the first sites that I ever made. Um, using craft, I did a ton of coding in the in Twig in the templates in the front end, and it was you know it was looping through uh, entries and related entries, and it was doing all sorts of calculations and ROIs and you know a whole ton of stuff. And lo and behold, when I got done with it, it was kind of slow. <laughs> right, um, everything worked, but there was a ton of uh, business logic that I put into the Twig code that really should not have been there. Right. And the stuff that should not be there is the stuff that has nothing to do with the presentation layer. Right. Right. That's the stuff that, um, you know, all those calculations. What was, uh, do you want to talk about the specific case there? Yeah, I mean, I don't care. It's not going to be that interesting to uh, the listeners, but I'll, I'll tell you what it is briefly. Um, it was a sure. website called uh, Tasty Stakes, um, and basically it was for tournament poker players who wanted to play various events at the World Series of Poker. They could put together a package. Um, they would list it up there, and people could buy uh, pieces of them, which is essentially like shares, um, and it took care of recording, you know, all of the uh, tournaments they played, how much money they won, and then it broke it down, um, showing all the payouts that were due to each particular person. And all of these calculations, you know, spreadsheet-like calculations were being done uh, in the front end in Twig templates, um, which, you know, I mean, it worked as a testament to uh, Twig and Craft. It, it all worked, but it <laughs> uh, probably not the most performant way to do it. So the alternative to sticking business logic in your template uh, is to move it out of your template and into the part of the application where it belongs, which is uh, right around the service layer. Um, and the way that we do that is we can take a piece of functionality and put it into a plugin. Right. Um, and the plugin can then have a variable that it uses to uh, deliver 
the data that it prepares to the template. So uh, the example that I would uh, that comes to my mind is uh, there's actually this happens to be quite a lot where I'll have some piece of content, you know, some field from some entry, and um, uh, I want to use that value if it exists. But if I can't find it, then I'm going to go look in another section for another entry and see if I can find some data there. And if I can't find the data there, then I'm going to go look in some other section uh, at some other entry and try to find the data there. Um, and then, you know, in the end, I will have found some entry um, or some element, and I want to, to take a piece of uh, information from it. And what I often find myself doing is writing this just extremely rat's nesty, multi-level, deep conditional of multiple, you know, craft entries or craft assets queries. And then I'm like drilling down into the properties of things yeah. and seeing if they exist. And if not, then yeah. I, you know, launch into another rat's nest of conditionals. And it's so much cleaner because what I'm actually trying to do there, um, you know, there's two steps. First, I have to go find the entry, the correct entry that is available and has the content that I want. And then I have to display that piece of content that I found. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know the situation. I know the situation you're talking about. Well, when you're looking at your editor, and you're you're in a Twig template, and you don't see any HTML code, you know you are in too deep. Yes, <laughs> you are in too That's deep. Right. <laughs> right. And and so what I have to do then is take a step back and say, okay, which part of this is preparing content to be displayed, and which part of it is actually writing that content out into the source code of my web page and everything that you know occupies the first half of that process goes into a plugin and then i you know end up with a much cleaner little snippet of php using crafts service methods and stuff and my template then looks like html with a few variables yep. Scattered and, throughout, and here's and and it's good that you mentioned plugin because yeah, I mean what we're talking about here is that if you do have a ton of business logic, the right thing to do is to break it out into a plugin, right? And you mentioned writing it in PHP code. I think the really really super important part uh, to emphasize is that we are not just uh, you know interspersing PHP code into the web page. We are actually writing this in a structured format. Um, where you know there are specific ways that you can write a plugin to hook in, and you know I've seen any number of sites that you know whether it's a WordPress site or a Expression Engine site or a Modex site or whatever that they just have PHP sprinkled uh, throughout their code uh, in on the actual web page, and Craft uh, doesn't allow you to do that. Uh, and at first, that may seem frustrating, but it's a case where um, they really do know better because forcing you to think about it from an abstract point of view and compartmentalize it into a plugin that can then be reused is going to be way more maintainable. Um, and, you know, we're not going to get too deep into uh, how to create plugins here. 
Um, we just want to emphasize that if you have a ton of business logic in your templates, it might be time to look at breaking some of that out and doing the kind of uh, higher level analysis that Michael was talking about in terms of what uh, should be in the template and what should we probably write a custom plugin for. Yeah, and I guess when we are talking about variables, by the way, uh, we should clarify that um, you know that's anything that in craft probably starts with a craft dot something, right? right? And um, craft has variables. It has the craft dot entries variable, uh, and it has the craft dot assets variable. And then plugins can have their own variables. Um, but what you don't see in the template is all of the PHP that uh, is responsible for querying the database to go find your entries, right? All of that PHP lives in the application, and then the application has this very specific way of delivering that to the template to be rendered. And that's what we call variables, or those access points where the template can say, hey, application, please deliver me this thing to uh, to print out, and then the application does. Yeah, and a, a perfect example of this is, uh, and I'm not giving anything away because I don't remember the guy's name anyway, but <laughs> there was someone in the uh, Slack chat who had a website that basically kept track of college teams in some way and their scores and rankings and that kind of thing. And he did it all via uh, templates, uh, via Twig. And you know the performance was not good because he was doing a... Uh, a, a ton of calculations with it, uh, and he ended up uh, getting someone to write a plugin for him that did some of the hardcore number crunching, um, and that resulted in a, a huge performance gain. So, you know, we're we're not expecting everyone to uh, go from being a designer to a front end developer to a back end developer that writes plugins, but just be able to take a step back and look at what you're doing uh, and if you're, if what you're doing is very uh, compute intensive, uh, that's the time to consider making a plugin or hiring someone to make a plugin um, that will do that logic for you. Because that's really not what Twig is designed to do. Uh, Twig will let you do a ton. ton right. Of well, and the, the technical. Well, the technical reason behind that is that when you are in a template. The application has prepared information for you and given it to you in a way that is optimal for displaying in your template, right? So there's, you know, all kinds of wrappers and stuff that make it nice to work with data in a template. And those things often make that same data very not nice to do math right. with, you know, to, to do computations. And so if you can do all of your computations and your querying and your math and your filtering and your grouping and all of that, if you can do that with pure data, you know, more lightweight pure data in the application layer, then that's always going to be faster than having the application wrap up that data for you, give it to the template, and then the template has to unwrap it, do some calculations on it, rewrap it, and then, right. you know, show it to the screen. Right. So, you know, before everyone's eyes glaze over, uh, you know, on this topic, um, I, I think we've kind of, 
You really like talking about eyes glazing well, over. Well, you know, mine are starting to. So if my eyes are glazing over, people listening are probably ready to off themselves, okay? <laughs> um, but no, really, I mean, I, I don't want to uh, turn this into yeah, a lot of people listening. You know, they may or may not even be able or interested to write uh, a PHP plugin, and that's fine. So just try to recognize when you are in a situation where it does make sense to uh, to do that and to break it out. Um, but I, I think we should also talk about, kind of take a step back and talk about uh, basic uh, tenets of performance, uh, and which are applicable in your whatever language you're using, whether it's Twig or PHP or, or, or whatever. Um, and I guess kind of the, the first uh, tenet of that, I would say, is that database accesses are expensive. Uh, and fetch only what you need. And the the reason, and it's been this way for forever, uh, basically I.O., which is reading stuff uh, from disk, reading stuff from the database, whatever, um, it's expensive uh, because you have to go out, build a query, it's got to access the disk, it's got to parse through all the data, and then it's got to bring it back to you. Um, so really try to be cognizant about... Um, Asking for only what you need, uh, only when you need it. Yeah, and Craft actually uh, has some nice ways of uh, helping us with this. Uh, Craft does a lot of what we call lazy loading, right. uh, which means that if you, you know, do a an entries query using Craft.entries, Craft will prepare a criteria, um, but until you actually try to use those entries in a way that requires output, like looping over them in a for loop or something, Craft doesn't actually run that database query. Craft just sits there with the criteria for the query until you actually need the contents, and, and then it goes and finds uh, what you need. And so part of only querying what you need is taking advantage of the way Craft uh, helps you do this. So, um, you know, use things like Craft entries and... Um, you know, make sure that you're not calling find prematurely. You know, let craft lazy load things for you when that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, another uh, important concept in, in terms of performance is the idea of pre-flighting, um, which is to try and get everything set up ahead of time um, so that the... Uh, the actual performance when someone is loading the template is not horrible. Um, and there are lots of different ways you can do this. A, a really basic one um, is make sure that you're storing stuff in your entries in a way that is uh, prepared for output already. Um, you know, if there is something that is um, can be pre-calculated, don't calculate it every time that you reload the page. Um, instead, have it stored already calculated. You want to talk about uh, pre-parse? Sure. I'll let you do it. Yeah. So uh, when you said pre-flighting, what came to my mind is this nifty little uh, uh, field type called the pre-parse field. Um, and uh, basically it gives you uh, a field in which you can type some twig template code. And when you save the element with that field, um, it actually parses that template code 
and makes available to that little mini snippet of template the element that you just saved. And so if you have, you know, some little calculation or, or something that ordinarily you would stick in a, a normal template, but it might be a little bit computationally heavy, you can stick that little snippet of template in the pre-parse field and craft will pre-parse it. And then you're, uh, you have the finished output stored as just field content that you can access uh, later in a normal template, just like you would access the content of um, of any other field. Yeah, the, the pre-parse field is really cool, uh, and it does allow you to do that type of pre-flighting. Um, and a really nifty example of it was on one of the, the straight-up Hangouts recently where uh, Matt went in there intending to have a code review done of his plugin for making a tag cloud, right? And we ended up, uh, it was actually pretty funny, Marion uh, came up with the idea of, well, why are we using a plugin at all? Let's use the pre-parse field to do all this calculation stuff ahead of time. So the performance or the the code review of, of uh, Matt's plugin turned into the death of his plugin. <laughs> you know, uh, got got rid hmm. of it entirely, um, and instead used the pre-parse field to calculate all this stuff. Now, I mean, you could spit out all of the tags um, every time in your template. Let's say that you're want to build a tag cloud. You could, you know, just loop through all of the tags, and then you could sort them, and then you could output them. But every time someone loads the page, you have to go through that computation. Um, that's a perfect example of not pre-flighting, right? Because it's recalculating it every time. Um, instead, what we ended yeah. up doing is using a pre-parse field that when the entry is saved, um, it does all this calculation once so that when the template is loaded, it just puts the output. You know, it's already been calculated. And that, I think that's a... Uh, a perfect example of what pre-flighting is. I use the uh, pre-parse field a ton when I need to count things. Like I want to count the number of categories that an entry is right. in, or I want to count the number of blocks in a matrix field on an entry. Um, and so instead of running that query, even though you know counting stuff is a pretty quick query, um, instead of running that query in a normal template, I will pre-count the things using the pre-parse field. Um, and where that really starts to matter is if I'm listing a bunch of uh, entries and I want to know, you know, the category count for each of them, or maybe I want to sort by, you know, the number of categories that an entry is in or something like that. You know, once I have 50 or 100 of those things in a query, all of a sudden, having pre-computed that, that count uh, starts to make a, a big difference. Um, and not to mention, uh, that also then uh, you can use in nifty ways in other places like in the, in the control panel. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's something I try to do and it's something I would encourage uh, other people to do when they are designing their templates is really think about what you're putting in, the, in that template and does it really need to be uh, computed every time? Um, and if it doesn't, then don't do it. Um, you really, you really want to do the expensive computation at a time that speed does not matter. 
so a perfect example is when you're saving the entry. Perfectly reasonable to you know do a little calculation and save it in the pre-parse field, um, as opposed to when you load the page, having it recompute it every time. Um, so when you're kind of doing the uh, the logical uh, architecture of what your template is doing, um, I would just encourage people to really think about, does this really need to be done essentially at runtime? Um, or are there things that can either be you know, uh, pre-computed with pre-pars or uh, saved in such a way that the computation isn't necessary? Um, and just be aware of the fact that you want to do as little uh, computation when you are rendering this uh, web page as possible. Um, let's back up just a second uh, to your earlier comment about database access being expensive. Um, because another uh, thing that uh, that is along those lines is the idea that not only do we want to minimize the number of times that we uh, go to the database. We also want to maximize the amount of stuff that we right. get each time we query the database. We want to to um, uh, to make our database queries pack as much value as they can. Yeah, and and the reason we want to do that is it's much more performant uh, to issue you know one big SQL query uh, than it is to do you know. 10 or 100 small ones. Uh, there's just a ton of overhead involved in setting up everything, setting up the SQL, accessing the database. It's, and, and even down to the level of um, the I.O., you know, reading it from the disk, uh, it's better to do as much as you can in large chunks uh, in term, when performance is, is in mind. Yeah. Um, the concept that sort of... Um, complements lazy loading is uh, what we would call eager oh, loading. And I'm prepared. I'm prepared um, for this. I'm so prepared. Well, let's hear it. So a lot of people, you know, eager loading, I think, was introduced in Craft 2.6, something like that. And if people have listened to the podcast before, they heard my uh, pig trough analogy for HTTP2, um, you know, which is basically... Michael goes out to feed the pigs. He doesn't, uh, you know, just dump all the feed into a bucket and it's a, you know, there's a bottleneck there. It's in one long trough and everyone can get at it at the same time. And Michael, you know, being a farm boy from Texas, sometimes I like to dumb these things down for him to make sure he understands it, you know. Um, you're okay with that, right, Michael? It's absolutely <laughs> necessary. <laughs> all right. So he, if you can picture this. This is a, a perfect example of what eager loading is. So Michael gets up in the morning at the, the break of dawn when the, the roosters are crowing outside his farm, and he's got to go out to milk the cows. All right? He's got 10 cows that he's got to go out and milk. All right? So there are a couple things that he's got to get. You know, He's got to get some gloves, and he has just imagine with me that he has a, uh, a separate uh, – pail that he uses for each cow, right? So the non-eager loading way when he's got to do these 10 cows is he walks outside his door with one pail, goes up to a cow, he milks it, 
He brings a, he walks all the way back to his house, and then he grabs another pail, and then he walks all the way back, and he does the next cow, and he does this ten times, uh, essentially where he is going back and forth between his house to get an extra bucket every time, right? The eager loading way is he grabs all of those buckets at the same time, he walks out to the barn, and he just milks all those cows right in a row, just, you know, does the titty twister and gets all the milk in all the buckets, and then he brings them all back at once. <laughs> Gosh. Poor cows. <laughs> right? Well, don't give your cows a titty twister because they'll <laughs> kick you. But the rest of the analogy was great. It sounds like, in this case, the um, the walking back and forth between the barn and the farmhouse represents the overhead uh, that is implicit to running a database query, as well as the as well as going to get the buckets. You got it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so just like we said, um, you know, if you uh, if you're pulling some entries. Well, craft can only fetch those entries uh, when you need them, and that's lazy loading. But uh, there's some cases where there uh, is, you know, you're in a loop, and there's stuff that you know ahead of time that you are going to need. Um, For example, if you have, uh, you know, a loop of 50 entries, and each one of those entries has several matrix blocks attached to it. Um, If you let craft lazy load those things for you, then you run into something we've talked about before, which is called the n plus 1 query problem, which means that uh, craft is going to first run a query to find those 50 entries, and then it's going to loop over them And for each of them, it's going to run a query to fetch all of the matrix blocks, right? Well, now you've got 51 queries to find those entries and their matrix blocks. If you know ahead of time um, that you need those matrix blocks, then you can tell craft ahead of time. Not only do I want these entries, but I also want all of the matrix blocks that are associated with them. And then... Craft only has to run three queries instead of 51, which is really nice. So it's good that Craft lazy loads things like matrix blocks by default because, you know, maybe you're looping through those entries and you don't care about the matrix blocks. So it's good that Craft didn't query for them. But if you know ahead of time that you are going to need them, then you can eagerly load them uh, and then that cuts down massively on the number of queries that Craft has right. to perform. Right, and you know, Michael, on the farm, we call this the uh, the teat what the teat plus one performance problem, okay, rather than the n plus one, uh, especially when we're talking about milking the cows. But yeah, the basic idea is that in, in <laughs> instead of doing uh, instead of doing <laughs> one query for all the entries. And then inside... That doesn't even make sense at all. The teat plus one? The teat plus one. No, it's it would be the N plus don't, one... Don't ruin it. Trip, trips to the... Don't, bar- don't okay, I'm it. sorry. It's the teat plus one problem. Don't ruin it. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's just, you're, 
I just I can't say just those words with a straight don't, face. Don't ruin it. Like, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try and get back on track. On. Very, Michael, go stop on. distracting me with this nonsense, please. So I'm basically, sorry. instead of um, let's say we're querying a blog, right? And there are 50 entries in there. Instead of um, you doing the query for those 50 entries, and then in the loop. Uh, asking for an associated image, you know, like a featured image with each blog, you're going to end up with one query for uh, all of the entries and then 50 queries for each of the images that you're loading in the loop, right? So instead of that, what Eager Loading does is it you can tell it, hey, Craft, um, I know normally you, you lazy load this stuff for me, but I really know I'm going to need this stuff. So when you do the query for the 50 entries, you tell it, I also need all of these images. And then when it constructs the query uh, for MySQL, it will grab all of the entries and all of the images, and you're down to just a couple of queries, which from a uh, performance point of view, I mean, it makes a massive difference. This is another kind of great example of what we were just talking about before, which is pre-flighting. Uh, and also grabbing as much information from the expensive database accesses at one time uh, as you as you possibly can. Right. By eager loading, you are essentially telling Craft in a just-in-time sort of way to please pre-flight all of the assets that go with these entries and to deliver those to the template at the same time that it delivers the original yeah. entries. Uh, and of course, the the value of that goes up with the number of things in your loop, and it also goes up with the number of things that you are trying to access on each of the things in your loop. So, you know, yeah, it's great if you are accessing one key image for each of your entries, but God forbid you should be accessing multiple uh, images with multiple image transforms. Uh, and then it, you know, you can imagine that if all of that stuff is being queried on a one-off basis, that really starts to add up. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize off the bat is that anything that's not a, like a simple value uh, in your field content is probably a relationship. Right. Things like tags and categories and assets and matrix blocks and related entries, all of these things are relationships that in order to use them in your template, Craft is going to have to perform a another query. You know, when you are accessing a categories field or an entries field or an assets field, the value of that field that is initially delivered to your template is just another element criteria model as if you had typed in craft.assets and, you know, filtered it to one entry. Um, and so you really, you know, that just adds up so quickly and you can save a ton of processing time by eager loading. Yeah, and, and this is something that we do in our daily lives, right? Uh, as any farm boy knows, I mean, you don't go from... Well, I do it all the time yeah. when I milk yeah. the cows, well, apparently. I mean, you, any farm boy knows that you don't go you know, from the house to the barn with one bucket and then go back to get another and, and get it each time, you know. Um, you bring them all with you at the same time. The same as, you know, if you're uh, getting ready to go on a hike, 
You know, you don't go grab one thing and then go back and grab another. And then, I mean, it, it just would take forever. So, um, and that's really all that we're doing here is we're saying, well, hey, I know I'm going to need this stuff. So let's get it out and prepared ahead of time so that we don't have this kind of round trip overhead on it. That's right. And by the way, if you do any work with craft commerce, um, the same applies for uh, products and variants of products. Each variant of a product is its own element. So you better be uh, eager loading that yeah, stuff. And, uh, you know, my understanding is that was one of the reasons for, I mean, eager loading was something that I think they'd been planning to do anyway. Uh, but craft commerce was yep. a big uh, kind of nudge to, to get them to get it out because of all of the related elements that you're talking about uh, and how much of a performance right. difference that it makes um, if you're actually able to pre-flight this stuff and say, hey, craft, I'm going to need all this stuff. Do it all in one shot rather than going yeah. back every well, time. And as, as we have talked about before in this series, there is no time that performance matters quite so much as when your customer is waiting to oh, buy yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, if somebody wants to give you money, you best not make them right. wait. And make it as easy as possible and don't piss them off. I mean, because people, if things That's are too right. slow, they may just say, screw it. You know, I don't really need this anyway, you know, or I'll get it somewhere else right. or, or whatever it, it ends up being. So um, I, I think that eager loading is uh, something that can really help. And the important concept is something that uh, Michael already mentioned is that uh, anything that, you know, for an asset, a category, tags, any other elements, those are all relations in craft. And anything that is a relation is going to be an additional query uh, when you need to access it. Um, so if you know you need all this stuff, pre-flight it with eager loading. So as long as we're talking about pre-flighting, um, let's talk briefly about the cache tag because we could do an entire episode about the cache tag. And in fact, we probably oh, will God, do that. No. But um, – but, um, the cache tag can be used to um, to snapshot and essentially pre-flight a fragment of template. And so let's talk about the craft tag, or sorry, the cache tag in that context. Like, how can we use the cache tag to basically pre-flight stuff? Yeah. So a important thing to understand uh, about the cache tag. Um, is that it's something that you use to help with uh, scalability. Um, it's not something that you're going to want. In other words, don't use it just to mask performance problems. You know, um, In my example where I had that uh, website that did all of those computations in Twig, I mean, yeah, I could, I could wrap it all in a cache tag, but whenever that cache is, is broken... Um, it's going to have to do all those computations again. So don't use it to mask yes. performance problems. But what the cache tag does, and all it does, and this is the important thing to understand, the only thing that it uh, caches is whatever you wrap around you know, uh, cache and then end cache, it saves a copy of the HTML output into the database. And that's all it does. So... If you have Twig code in there or whatever, that code is never executed again. It's only the output 
that ends up being saved uh, in the database as a cached element. Yeah, so the use cases for that are going to be um, stuff that takes a lot of queries to assemble, um, but that maybe doesn't change too frequently. It doesn't have to be uh, so dynamic that it, you know, you need to run all those queries each time the page loads. Maybe you can save the result of that section of the template for an hour or a day or a week. Uh, and it's going to stay the same for multiple users. You know, it's not specific to uh, to one user. Um, so then you can wrap some section of template in the cache tag, and the cache tag saves the output of it so that the next time the template runs, instead of running all of those queries over again, Craft knows that it's done that already, and it just goes with one query to the database and fetches the output that it saved and it makes sure that it hasn't expired yet. And if it hasn't, then it just puts it out into the template. Yeah, so there you know, some good use cases for it. So a really common, simple one. You know, let's say that um, you're using Craft to implement a blog and you've got a, uh, a list of blog archives below it, right? Um, that's something yep. that you might wrap that in a global cache tag, uh, and we'll get into what that is in uh, in just a second, so that any blog post uh, that needs it can just uh, can will will just it'll be just one database access to pull it in. Right? And they're they're not going to have to go loop through all the entries uh, that are in the archives and output each one of them. It's just going to be one database access, and that. You know, that's the important thing that you mentioned earlier is the cache tag is a database access. Our goal is to reduce numerous database accesses into one, right? So if all you did is wrap the cache tag around static text, for instance, it's going to be slower because you are... Yeah, that's not helping yeah, because you. because you are adding a query where before there was none, right? So don't do that. That's not going to help. Um but a, what I mentioned before about a, a blog archive, so one of the uh, parameters that you can put in the cache tag is a globally uh, keyword, I guess you would call it. Or yeah, it's a parameter, right? Yeah. It, uh, it's both, yes. It's a keyword parameter. <laughs> um, and what right. that tells Craft to do is to uh, cache this thing so that it is going to be the same no matter where it is. Right. So in the example of the blog pages, if we cached the archives globally, um, that would be one object that each uh, of the blog pages would just suck in and it would pull them in and it would only have to ever be re-rendered when a new blog is published, um, which would break the cache. And uh, why don't you explain to people exactly how the cache does break? Yeah, so, uh, well, first, um, to touch on the globally okay. keyword, um, it's useful to know that when you are running the cache tag, um, the stuff that gets saved is saved under two keys, sort of. Well, uh, you give it a key that is a name for the thing that you have saved, but then it also 
implicitly has a context. And that context can either be the single path or it can be global. Uh, so if I uh, wrap a bunch of stuff in the cache tag and I say the key for this is blog roll and, uh, and I don't tell it to cache globally, then it will actually save that snippet, that blog roll snippet, once for each page on which it appears. And so you could have multiple cache entries all using the same name, the same key, um, but they are you know, saved once for each path. Um, and so sometimes that is valuable because sometimes, in fact, you know, that piece of content is specific to the page on which it is accessed. And it's not necessarily specific to the user and it doesn't change very frequently. So you do want to cache it, but it, you do want to save a separate copy for each page that it right. appears on. So that's what Craft does by default is that it saves things in the context of the the page or the path. But if it's a thing that is the same for all pages, like, you know, blog a roll. piece of navigation or a footer or a blog roll, then you could tell it to, to save it globally. And then it doesn't matter what page it's accessed on. If that cache exists, it'll get served up. Um, so then the other thing that the cache tag looks at is, um, whether the cache is, is expired. Um, and so you can tell it how long to cache this output. Uh, and then if it comes upon a piece of cache and it tries to pull it out of the database, but finds that, you know, it's already expired, then it'll break that cache, you know, delete that cache entry from the database and recompute it. Um, but like you said, there's other ways that craft breaks its cache. Um, and craft can be both uh, smart and a little confuddled by this, depending on uh, the use case. So the simplest way that craft breaks a cache is when you, um, uh, well, actually, let's back up a step and talk about how cache entries are sort of tagged by craft. So um, Craft has a couple ways of associating um, the output that is saved by a cache fragment with the elements that appear inside of it. Um, and the first really clever way that Craft does this is if I am computing a piece of template and I'm inside the cache tag, um, then every time I access a template variable, if that thing is an element, then craft registers that element with that, you know, as being part of that particular fragment. So if I am, you know, spitting out 10 different entries inside of a cached fragment, craft knows and stores that entries 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 are, you know, inside that output. And so if I go and edit any one of those specific entries and I save it, then craft knows, okay, Michael just saved entry ID two. So go search and see which uh, cache fragments included entry ID two and break all of them. 
delete them from the cache because they're no longer valid because entry ID 2 changed. Right? So that's really cool because it helps us kind of automatically keep stuff Yeah, and I think date. that's a really important point to hammer home, especially people that are used to um, caching systems in other CMSs, um, which is that the, the cache will auto-break. Uh, essentially when you, you know, let's say you change an entry on the back end. Um, any, uh, any template that has a cache tag wrapped around that entry is going to break. And it will break mm-hmm. automatically. Yeah, you so don't have it, to do anything. Um, so you don't have to right. be incredibly paranoid yeah. about, you know, setting a really short uh, expiration for this thing. Um, part of using the craft cache mechanism, I think, is kind of just letting go, where you say, all right, I'm going to cache this, hmm. and I'm just going to let it cache for however long, uh, you know, for forever, because craft is going to break it um, if someone changes any of the data that's inside of it. Right. So if craft knows for sure that an entry is included in a piece of cache, then anytime you save that entry, those caches get uh, get invalidated, and then the next time you run that template, they'll get recomputed. There is another uh, thing that Craft does that's quite clever, uh, which is it has a way of not just knowing which elements are for sure included in a piece of, of cached output, but it has a way of figuring out what elements might be included in a piece of cached output. And it does that by saving... Um, if you run an element query, so you've got an element criteria model, you did a, a craft.entries or a craft.assets or, or something in your template. Um, if you do that inside of a cache tag, craft will also register with that cache entry the criteria that you searched inside of that the tag. So then when you go and save any element uh, of, of that type, I think, uh, then Craft will loop through its cached entries, and for each one of them, it will see if the entry that you just, or the, the element that you just uh, updated, if it might have been included in that uh, piece of cache. And if Craft determines that the element that you just updated might have been part of that output, then it will also invalidate that output and uh, the cache gets refreshed, which is really, really cool. Like it's that implementation is very, very clever. The first time I saw it, I was just like, wow, this is so smart. Um, The problem with that is when you have really big sites with a whole lot of cache entries, because then uh, every time you save any element, Craft starts this task and it tries to figure out which cache entries it might need to break based on this thing that you just saved. And if you have a ton of cache entries, this can take a really long time and get hung. But luckily, Craft also gives you a very nice config value that says uh, cache element queries, and you can set that config piece to false, and then Craft doesn't worry about that anymore. And so if that is a problem that you run into, then you have a nice way of telling craft, well, you know what, cool it on the element query registration. I'll take care of that some right. other way. 
Yeah, and and again, um, one thing I want to mention regarding the uh, the cache duration, um, there is a config variable called cache duration, um, which lets you set mm -hmm. the default duration for cached items, right? That actually defaults to 24 hours. So, you know, if you just do cache, some code, and then end cache, whatever is in there will be cached for 24 hours. And the, the reason I bring yeah. it up is a lot of people don't realize that. They think, uh, oh, well, this will just cache forever until <laughs> something inside it changes. So something that I do on a lot of my sites is I set that config variable to false. So you set cache duration uh, mm -hmm. to false. And what that does is it causes things that are cached to be cached forever until they break, um, which is really what I want for a lot of right. the things that I am caching. Um, if I really do want an explicit um, duration that it should be cached, well, I can add that as a parameter uh, in the cache tag. You know, I can say cache until or cache for uh, to tell it how long I want it to cache that thing. Um, but, you know, something right. just kind of nice little pro tip, set cache, cache duration to be false so that every 24 hours it's not regenerating all these caches for no reason. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's nice that Craft allows us to configure that behavior, the the default cache duration and and whether Craft goes through the trouble of registering the criteria right. attributes when a cache is is served. But um I find on most sites, just like you said, you really can just kind of use it and not worry too much uh and just trust that you can cache things for very long times and craft is really smart about uh, breaking the cache on on most sites you really can set it and forget yeah, it and I, I think that it's you know we may be talking about this too much but it is important because it's different than most caching systems um, you really can just cache stuff and for the most part on the vast majority of sites just not worry about it just let it cache this thing from here to eternity because if you actually change something that is within there, it's going to break it and regenerate it anyway. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I would say about using the cache tags is to be smart about it. Um, so I'm going to give you a real-world example of uh, somebody I know who will remain, name remain nameless who had a, uh, a website that had a blog in it that had a ton of blog entries, right? And what okay. he was doing initially was, uh, so this is, you know, it's your basic thing. It's got a blog, and then it's got the archives listed down below it, right? And he mm -hmm. had wrapped that all in a cache tag, um, which, you know, at, at first glance, you know, seems reasonable. Um, but what do you think the, the problem with that setup might be, Michael? Well, uh, I could think of a couple things. Uh, the first is that you said he had like a a blog post and then some other the blog you world. know blog post yeah, listings blog yeah. underneath it. And if you were to put both of those things inside the same cache tag, then they would be broken every time right. that particular entry got saved, whether or not it changed the blog roll content. So you might be unnecessarily computing the blog roll every time you saved 
an entry that wasn't even in the blog. Yeah, well, even, even worse. Um, and you, you nailed it. I mean, I should have known I can't stump you. Um, but basically what would happen is, so let's say a, uh, a new blog entry was being published, right? Um, when that, when that mm. gets published, that would change what is appearing in the blog role, right? So that would invalidate right. every single blog entry on this site, right? So Craft would have to, you know, people accessing the site would get a slow response to every single blog entry um, until it gets recached whenever a new blog post is made, right? So the right way to do it is you separate it into two separate cache tags. One that caches the blog that is on that particular page, and you do that. You don't need you just you know cache and then end cache around that blog entry. And then the second one is the blog role, where you would do a cache globally, you know, and give it a name, whatever you want to call it. And what that gives you is um, it's not going to invalidate every single blog entry's cache when a new blog is posted. It's only going to invalidate uh, the blog role, and that and that right. only needs to be regenerated once, and then it's reused on all of those pages because it's global right. and it's reused on all of yeah. those pages. Well, because the the entry, the individual entry cache, might want to be in the path context, but that blog role definitely wants to be in the right. global context. Now, you know, we should say in this particular example. Uh, you better be doing some crazy stuff outputting your blog right. entry because <laughs> you, you might not, you know, caching a single blog entry might not actually give you uh, much of a gain, but we'll we'll just assume that every blog entry is just wicked complicated. Whoa. When you gave that example, it, it made me think of another thing that I have seen and, and have even fallen a victim to my own silliness a number of times, and that is... Um, I will sometimes uh, cache a bunch of stuff and, um, you know, I'll have a bunch of queries and I'll put all of that output inside a cache tag and then realize that it didn't actually make things a whole lot mm. faster. Um, and uh, And I look at the cache entry in the database and it has the right output inside of it and... Uh, I look at my profile and I see that Craft is accessing that that cache entry correctly, but it still is just as slow as it was before. And I imagine that you might be able to guess the culprit there. I have no idea. I wasn't even paying attention. Can you ask the question again? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I don't know. Go ahead. What's the answer? Um. So it's easy to forget to put the template tags that generate your database queries inside oh, the cache on. tag. Because, <laughs> How because am I frequently to know that you're being that, that silly. I mean, come on. <laughs> it, 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 it is, in fact, a very silly thing to do. Um, be, you know, a lot of times it's really nice to stick a bunch of query stuff up at the top of your template and then reference the contents of those queries later um, Michael in the template and and so that's so that's nice but um, 
you know, then you have to make sure that in fact, if you want to not run those queries, every time that template gets loaded, then uh, then you might have to stick those tags into the cache Michael, tag. Michael, if the milk's not in the bucket, it's not going to make it back to the farmhouse. I mean, come on. you got you got to put the – whatever you're caching has to be inside of the cache tag. Absolutely. You're very, very creative with my cows. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, it's not it, – you're, you're absolutely right. Um, both my example and your example, it's not just about using the cache tag, right? It's about using it smartly. Um, and in the yeah. example I gave, huge performance difference between 160 right. uh, pages having to be regenerated and recached anytime a new blog entry was saved um, versus just the blog roll having to be recompu- uh, recomputated. So keep that in mind when you are caching content is try to do it smartly. Um, yes. So, you know, I, I mentioned offhandedly about checking my debugger. Um, so maybe we should wrap up by talking about, um, you know, we're doing all this stuff We're we're, lazy loading when we want to be and we're eager loading when we want to be and we're pre-flighting and we're caching. How do we tell if we're doing it well? How can we tell what difference it makes? So the easiest way is just to be uh, running a site uh, in dev mode and load the page and you view the JavaScript console, whatever your browser of choice is, you can take a look at it. Um, and Craft does some very nice little uh, timing metrics uh, down below there that will give us some uh, reasonable idea of what the performance is like on our site. Yeah, so if you're in dev mode, if, if I understand this correctly, uh, if you're in dev mode, every single database query that Craft performs, it outputs to the JavaScript yep. console. Not only does it tell you the query that was performed, but it tells you uh, at what time in the template process that occurred, and it tells you how long that query took to execute. So I I don't know if, if you do this. I frequently, if I'm, you know, dealing with a slow template, I'll just load it and I'll read through those queries and I'll sort of figure out which of my template tags might be generating a particularly slow query and then I'll go, you know, oops, I see 50 different queries for, you know, asset transforms. I better add some eager loading. So I'll go to my template and I'll add some eager loading and I'll save the template and I'll rerun that page. And then I'll go check to see if those 50 queries disappeared, you know, and see what the time difference is in, in loading my template. And then I'll just, you know, go to the next thing. Okay, well this query took 30 seconds. So I'll go find whatever generated that query and I'll put it in a cache tag. And, uh, you know, then I'll go reload my template and see, you know, how much quicker yeah, and it loads. Your... And I just kind of right. do that until I'm pretty sure I can't eliminate any more queries. Yeah, and, and what you're talking about is the uh, profile slash optimization loop, which is basically you write your code 
and then you profile it. In this case, we're profiling uh, the database queries by um, you know, looking at the JavaScript console and looking at the profiling summary report. Um, and then we're optimizing it, and then we do it again, and then again, and then again, until we are either happy with the performance or we've exceeded our client's budget or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but this is a, a really, you know, and, and it, you know, certainly you can go in there and you can look at all of the queries and see what it looks like it's loading and, and get a reasonable idea of what you might want to cache. Um, and even simpler thing that you can do is profile it before you do any cache tags and just look at the total, look at the time uh, and look at the total queries that were executed, implement your cache tags, and then look at the total queries. And did they go down? And if they did not go down, then mm -hmm. you have done something horribly wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And, you know, there's a certain number yeah. of queries that are kind of just overhead that just happen. Um, that, you know, you can... I, I don't even know what the minimum number of queries that you can get it down to. It probably... It nine. probably yeah. There's nine queries... Nine queries on an empty Perfect. craft template, um, and you know when you ha when you add in some of the niceties like global variables that you can configure variable sets, and those are additional queries. And um, whenever there are entries, for instance, those are additional queries. You know all the all that kind of stuff. But the real point is to um, after you've wrapped stuff in the cache tag, you know look and see if the queries have gone down, and look and see if the time has gone down for those queries. Yeah. Well, and um, the order in which you sort of uh, tweak those things, chip away at those things sort of matters because like you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you don't want to use caching as duct tape to hide a performance right. problem. And so, you know, when I'm going through my loop, my first step is to see how much uh, how many queries I can shave off, how much time I can shave off by implementing, you know, lazy loading or eager loading as appropriate. And then when I'm pretty sure I can't do that anymore, then I'll look at pre-flighting stuff with a pre-parse tag. And then when I'm pretty sure that's not helping anymore, you know, then I'll go strategically apply some, some caching. Whereas if I went and just, I mean, I could go wrap the whole page in a cache tag and it would load faster, but I'm sort of masking some, uh, some performance issues that I could fix right. a smarter right. way. And it's not necessarily invalid, uh, to wrap a whole page in the cache tags, but it is, Oh no, right, I do it all it the time. It is definitely a problem if you're, if when the cache is broken, it's incredibly slow. Um, right. Yeah, some yeah. poor soul has to be, has to be the one to load well, that page. And, and also, you know, when the cache breaks everywhere, I mean, your web server goes teats up when you know, everyone's accessing stuff that's not cached. Right. Um, I like that you, you snuck the teats in there one more time. We're, we're I, sneaking the teats in. I just, I just yeah, want to point, <laughs> point out your cleverness. We're sneaking the teats in everywhere. And we your obsession with teats. <laughs> well, hey, you're the one that's milking them. I don't know what to tell you. Um, okay. <laughs> I forgot what the hell I was going to say. <laughs> I know, I know, it was, I know, it was really smart. This episode is hereby retitled <laughs> "Michael's Cows and Their Teats." No, it's it's. 
It's become the the Tidisode, you know. Um, <laughs> the Tidisode. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I was I, I was going to Michael. I was going to say something that I swear to you, it was going to be, it was going to sound really smart. Um, well, then no, say it because I forgot it. I mean, we're just going to go with it. We're just going to assume that it was uh, it was something really clever and really smart, and it was a great tip that might have changed the lives of some of the people that were listening. But because of the teats, I forgot it. So. Um. Another thing that I sometimes look at when I'm profiling uh, a page is the time to first bite that we talked about uh, you know, in the last episode. Um, understanding how many queries and how long they take is is good, but um, you know the time to first bite often r- represents the time, the total time that it takes for craft to. Uh, you know, process all of right. your template and start sending it to the browser. And so um, as sort of a rough metric, you can also pull up your console and just look at the time to first byte for a page and, you know, try to make that bar smaller. And I, I remembered what I was going to say. Um, and I, I still think it's useful, but it's probably not all that smart. Um, but you know what we were talking about this kind of iterative process of going back and profiling um, seeing what is the bottleneck and then fixing it and then testing it and then doing it over again and doing it over again um, I mean it sounds really tedious, but it really is the right way to optimize something but the the real benefit of that is a longer term benefit where when you sit down to write the next project, you have that experience of what it is you optimized on the other project and what made it more performant. Um, And that will cause you to write stuff in a performant way so that when it does uh, come time to do the, uh, the profiling of it, um, you'll have a lot less work to do. Um, You know, once you've been through this process and you have profiled a page and you have figured out how you can use lazy loading to cut down the queries. Well, the next time that you're writing a craft entries loop, you're probably going to eager load stuff right off the bat. Um, so, oh sure. Well, and that that informs how you set up your CMS in the first place. You know, like like you said, I I know the correct way of doing it after I've right. done it. Well, you know, you might build a site, and you know, at some point, you go through the pain of realizing, oh shoot, if I had only used this field type instead of that right. field type, you know, finding this content in my template would be so much more performant. And so next time you build a site, you know, you use this field type instead of that right. field type. Right. And, and I guess the real, and maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not a real interesting point, but doing this actual uh, performance profiling process will make you better at producing sites the first time. Um, because it will it will teach yeah. you a lot about the performance characteristics of craft and all of these things, all of these uh, tags and t- uh, things that you're using in your templates, and it will teach it to you in a way that when you sit down to write stuff, you'll just write better code, uh, and you'll yeah you'll yeah, remember and it. you'll you'll remember it yeah it becomes very native right. to you this uh, this sort of knowledge of craft's characteristics and its internals becomes. Uh, it gets to be a thing that you don't have to go look right. up when you're writing a template. It just is it becomes right. very natural. So, so. As tedious. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a good as go tedious as it might sound. Um, I th- <laughs> I think that unbelievable, I know, I'm incorrigible. Um, but 
you know, going through this process, it sounds very tedious or tedious, um, but it is really, really worthwhile doing. So if anyone is listening and they're like, wow, yeah, I don't want to have to do that for every site that I build. That sounds like an incredible time sink. Um, you know, just doing it on a couple of sites when you're working on them uh, will make it so that you know craft and how it performs well enough that you're not going to need to do the same kind of lengthy performance profiling when you sit down to do the next one. So it really is something that is, um, you're doing something really nice for future you, you know? That's right. I think that's a great point on which to wrap up this episode. Okay. That sounds good. I mean, it was good. Uh, no, no, no. You were going to no. say something. Say no, what no, you were no, going to no. say. I don't. Say no. it. Say it. I'll edit it out if I'm it's not good. I'm teetering on the brink of saying something, but I I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're going to let it go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. If, that was a good yeah, episode. If people want these nuggets of wisdom, I mean, they're just going to have to put up with the, the annoying, uh, the terrible jokes and the, the ridiculous stuff. I'm sorry. That is the price that you all are going to have to pay. <laughs> they are, in fact, really terrible I know. jokes. That's what makes them great. <laughs> If you have ideas for an episode of the Craft Podcast, if you would like to be an interviewee or an interviewer, we would love to hear from you. Development, business, content marketing, content creation, if it has to do with craft even just a little bit, then it fits and we crave your feedback. So please get in touch with us, craft at, craft at, hello at craftpodcast.com or on Twitter at craft podcast if you are interested in sponsoring an episode of the craft podcast that would be so swell i don't even have a teat pun to describe <laughs> how swell it would be but please get in touch with us um just a wee bit of sponsorship would really help us publish episodes more often which is something that we want to do for all of y'all um and uh i'd, I'd like to also say that you know yeah for get in touch with us out there uh, who's looking for, you know, a, a junior uh, kind of position. I know uh, Rog is, uh, or Michael is looking for some help with his teats. So please get in touch with us. Just that. <laughs> just, I just don't want teats to be the last thing that someone hears before we sign off. But. That's just unavoidable, I suppose. For the Craft Podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. And I'm Michael Rogg. We'll see you next time.